Coming up next, the return of who? The King. You ain't nothing but a hobbit. You ain't nothing but a hobbit. Wow. You ain't nothing Boo. but a... Boo. Boo to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you step on my hobbit feet. <laughs> Good one, neighbor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shire pub rock. Shire pub rock. <laughs> I can't help returning the ring <laughs> to you. I don't know. Precious. <laughs> okay, there you go, folks. It was a rich mine of comedy, and we dug deep. Found the Arkenstone of <laughs> Elvis-related <laughs> Return of the King comedy. I believe we did. No, it's not the return of Elvis. He never went away. He's not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Yeah. <laughs> He's the opposite of dead. Yeah, yeah. He just went to his home planet. He just went to his home planet. It's Tommy Lee's jo- Lee. Oh, uh, uh, Tommy Lee uh, Jones. Uh, Agent K. Losing power. Emotion chip deactivated. Agent. What is literature? What was I trying to say? I have no clue. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, no. man. Agent K. I blue screened of death there we learn in the great movie tommy lee jones that men and boy we wow learn in the movie tommy you lee remember jones. that great movie tommy lee jones <laughs> yeah. yeah and men in black do what in that movie yeah uh, men in black says that <laughs> the king is not dead he just went home one of the great lines from tommy lee jones a much better movie than tommy lee jones 2 tommy lee jones 3 <laughs> or tommy lee jones colon international about tommy lee jones colon and the international <laughs> adventures <laughs> that it goes on and that's a quality way to start a podcast. My name is Nathan. This is The Bookening. That's Brandon. Hey. He's the scholar. So Brandon's like, I'm having nothing to do with this. <laughs> I'm out of here, guys. I'm out of here. <laughs> that's Jake. He's the pastor. He's the master of reading. <laughs> Did you really just say this? <laughs> uh, never mind. We got there somehow, Jake, and we're going to get out of it. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> We're not redoing this one. No, we're not redoing. We're just going to keep trying to breathe here. No, this is this is a great episode of The Bookening already. And uh, we're returning to our favorite subject, Tolkien. This is the year of Tolkien, guys. Yay. <laughs> we killed Jake. You literally just said it's a movie about Tommy Lee Jones's colon and the international adventures it went on. And I just cannot recover from it. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it, <laughs> Brennan. Your thoughts <laughs> about, about Tommy Lee Jones' colon? Yeah, and the adventures that's gone on. <laughs> My dad met Tommy Lee Jones in a bu- <laughs> in a buffet. Yeah, he I only mentioned that before. like four times on the booking. I think. And so, uh, <laughs> please. Did your dad say hi? Did he say I no. enjoy your movies? He just he saw Tommy Lee Jones he at just a buffet. At him. Was it a Ponderosa? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I like to think that Tommy Lee Jones eats at Ponderosa. Um, 
Wow, that was quite a way to start this episode. My name is Indeed. Nathan. This That's, is quality stuff. Yeah, no, this is quality stuff. You know who <laughs> the more you have things? to say something is quality stuff, the more you know it's quality stuff. Well, guys. <laughs> yes. Return of the King, a book that we're going to begin talking about today as we talk about, is it book five? No. Yes. 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 Of Return of the King, the one where Pippin goes to Gondor. It'd be book one of Return of the King. Book one of Return of the King, but if you're looking at it as the novel Lord of the Rings, I think it might actually be listed as... It's book five book of five. Lord of the Rings, yeah. Right. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't want to engage in too much negative energy, but like Tolkien's all great. This might be the worst... It is the worst book. ...of the books. It is. Yep. I'm glad we've settled that. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, there's folks. No, I don't think there's a question about that. Maybe... The other contender would be the other time we're stuck with the men and when like, we're rolling around in Isengard and yeah, stuff all that all stuff. stuff. At least there you have the ends. And Helm's Deep is a pretty up. sweet chapter. Like you have yeah. a lot of really cool stuff. Oh yeah, the book five. If we're just talking about book five, then it ranks pretty low. Yeah. Bottom of the heap. It was I, I will say this. I guess if it's between book five and book three, book three I always really loved as a kid because it had Helm Deep, it had a lot of stuff. Book five was always a slog as a kid because Pippin's going to go to Gondor. He's going to be out of his element. He's going to make fr- friends with random side character number 57. Yeah. Then he's going to meet random side car- character 57B, the son of random yeah. side character 57. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of awkwardness with Pippin like presenting himself to this weird old creepy king and being taken into his service. Mm-hmm. And creepy king is going to try to set himself on fire. Yeah. Well, that's when it's actually a little. I mean, that's a that's a high point. Of yeah. Book yeah. five. It's a pretty opinion. significant change in the book or the movie. The way they handle the scene, but, <laughs> where yeah. he runs across a giant <laughs> rampart on fire. <laughs> 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 so passes dinner. <laughs> it's so dorky in the movie. <laughs> it is the worst moment I think in all those movies. Shield surfing. Be darned. Uh, really, you think it's the worst, eh? I really think it is the dumbest moment in all of those movies. <laughs> Maybe in all six of them. It, may be, it might be dumber than anything with Elfgate or anything like that. Like, I'm on fire. Because he, he leaves the door and then they cut to a wide shot and he's already kind of down there. Yeah. But the amount of space, it's like three football fields <laughs> that this dude <laughs> runs on fire. And they didn't want the, the really sad, dorky image of him running on fire and then just dropping. <laughs> so, so they have him go off a cliff and then it, oh, it's pathetic well they had to have him fall they thought that was gonna be pretty cool it's so tasteless it is the dumbest yeah. moment in all of dramatically tasteless it's not like gory or anything but it, it's just stupid yeah that's what you really think nathan <laughs> i think it's great okay i've been deflecting this whole time <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's my favorite moment in all of cinema <laughs> <laughs> wish you hadn't made me say what i really thought brandon <laughs> <laughs> got it out at last. You got Good it. job, Brandon. You got it's it in the whole way to dig, man. <laughs> I mean, I think Denethor is an appropriately creepy character, but he's not very pleasant to spend time with. And Pippin's going to spend time with them. And we're talking about the book Denethor. Now? Yeah, we're back to the book now. Um, the movie. He's not as bad as the movie Denethor. He's not as gross. And the movie makes him a gross idiot and has he's that got scene greasy hair. Like, yeah, that's that's just, that's just Jackson, you know. Yeah, cartoon, Jackson being cartoony do. with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I hate the movie Denethor. I think he's pretty lame, but well, and the and, well, the way he eats. Yeah, well, yeah, and they do that. It's so gross and per- childishly gross. And then Denethor is such a small character. Ultimately, that movie 
Denethor ends up replacing what I think was probably a better a better character. Yeah. A more interesting character. The idea of the guy that's just given in to despair. I mean, we have variants of this all through the story, yeah. but the idea of the guy that has a lot of power and is on the good has guy's a lot team of ability. and has a lot of ability and could have been great and could have been a humble servant of the ultimate king. Could have helped do some some really great things and save lives and be a part of team winning. Yeah. That's a great character. But he's corrupted by his despair. Yeah. And it's a nice little portrait of all that has to happen for evil to triumph. You know, yeah. Neville Chamberlain of it all. Yeah. Um, he was Churchill's ad- adversary, right? Was that Chamberlain? He was Churchill's predecessor. Predecessor who did not, who wanted to make He's peace the one with who the was, Nazis, right? right? Yeah. He was the, uh, the Nazi sympathizer. Right. Is how history has a little bit unkindly, I guess, painted him, but... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, he, it's what happened. He was trying to navigate a complicated yeah. political. Mind he was a field. soft man. Yeah, in a way that Churchill wasn't. Right. right. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. So Denethor is a good portrait of that. I sort of had. I saw the movie. The same thing kind of happened with Theoden. Movie Denethor is so cartoony that I remembered. I retroactively made in my mind book Denethor into a much richer character because I just figured Jackson had ruined it. Going back to book Denethor, it's like well. He's a pretty simple little portrait. There's not that much, but, yeah, not that but much the nuances it. of him, if what nuances there are, Jackson, steamrolls, steamrolls, yeah, yeah. He was still the kind of man that was at one time a great man, yeah. a man that you could respect, a man that could give you a Faramir and a Boromir, right? And and you can't imagine that in the movie, which is a failing. But yeah, Gandalf mentions that Denethor used to be. A great, and he even mentions at one point that oh, when because so one thing the book the movie cuts out is Denethor has access to a palantir, right? Yeah, and Gandalf makes the comment that Denethor is still a great enough man that Sauron wasn't going to have hold of him that way, which basically elevates Denethor to the level of Saruman, right? Yeah, right. Like Sauron corrupted Saruman, right, through the palantir. He corrupted Denethor's perspective, but didn't win Denethor to his side. That's the character of Denethor, a very artfully drawn character. Yeah, very artfully. That's true. Artful indeed. I think that there are more artful characters in Tolkien, to be honest. Yeah, actually. Denethor. I'm with you, Jake. But in the moment. Yeah. Maybe not. (laughs) In the moment, you mean in this book? No, in the moment of the bookending, it's not. No, this is a very artful moment. Artful moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Artful. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep. That's for one person. Yep. Eh, it's for, you know. Four people. It's for people. Yeah. yeah. It's the kind of person who would know, would know that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. They would know it was for them and they'd understand why. Yeah. And if you are not that kind of person, well, there are things that you could do to become that kind of person. Well. Like being awesome. Yep. And. Yeah. I mean, it starts with being awesome, I would mm-hmm. say. Well, guys, speaking of Denethor. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I'm blanking here. I don't have a good transition to our next point. Speaking of Denethor. How about Gondor? <laughs> nice. <laughs> there we go. Well done. I would sir. criticize you, but I think my, my average transition is about that good. And so. the fields of Pelennor. Your average transition and the gates is much worse than of that. Mordor. <laughs> Fair enough. Wow, Tolkien. Okay, let's talk about Tolkien's obsession door, with, with door, 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 door. We got Pelennor, door, 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 door. door, door. Uh, Tolkien, 
Yeah. Re- yeah. Retarded six-year-old child? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you guys thoughts? He, he, he's that meme, you know, <laughs> the kid who's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I always feel bad for, like, how do you become that meme? I saw an article, you know, the crazy girlfriend meme where she's got the big bug eyes and everything. Yeah. I saw an article about that lady and yeah. her life after she became the personification of crazy. Did it ruin her? I nah. think she leaned into it. I think she leaned into it or something. I don't know. All the best of these people have leaned into it and Good found a healthy way to laugh at themselves and make money off of it usually. It, it could be a worse fate than... I mean, there are people out there that have like like little conferences for people who became YouTube famous or memes or whatever and people go to meet these people and I've seen stuff about that. Yep. Wow. Piano cat. The hide your kids, hide your wife guy. He's made a... He's made some money off this stuff. Sure, wish I could find a way to become an internet meme. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to take the bait. I'm better than that. Are you? (laughs) No, not really, but... (laughs) Uh, Kind of lobbed you a softball. You did lob me a softball. Jabba the Hutt already has the job. But you're so... You're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Those are the kinds of things I'm not going to say. You could have said those, but you're not going to because you're a good guy. We've already got enough Hindenburg memes... You're like the Babe Ruth of mean comments. And so when a softball comes out, you're like, I'm going to wait and take the fastball. Yeah. I take the fastball. I'm the Babe Ruth of mean comments. It's too easy. He 12 hot dogs and drinks five beers while he's waiting. He does. Yeah. Yeah. He does have serious heart issues. As as Brandon (laughs) calls it, a snack. Um, (laughs) As Nathan calls it, a morsel. (laughs) As Brandon calls it, a microscopic part of my regular diet because I'm a fatty. As Nathan calls it, breathing air. You can't breathe without just sucking in the grease. It is true. I, when I breathe, I suck in grease. <laughs> it's really weird and disgusting. He just lives and in a I'm gre- constantly in a vat of grease. Yeah, he lives in a grease suit. <laughs> well, this has been the perfect <laughs> transition from Denethor. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Have you guys seen my grease suit? <laughs> Had to buy it off of John Travolta. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, it was a good setup just for that joke. Yep, yep. It was worth it. <laughs> All for that. You know, my girlfriend, we were going to break up, but then she came and I was like, I'm going to wear my preppy suit for her. And she was like, I'm going to wear my sexy black leotard for him. And then we realized that codependency was great. And we danced around each other and then we got in a flying car. You remember that, Jake? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. That was really sweet. Yeah, it was electrifying. It was great. Anyway, (laughs) speaking of quality content. That's more like the bookending transition than I know. (laughs) Denethor. Denethor. I guess the point of this whole section was for me to say, uh, we started out this podcast saying this book, book, not Return of the King, but this book, book five, a little bit of a slog. Um, And it was for me as a kid. I got bogged down. And some of it was probably intentional. Like you're supposed to feel Pippin's awkwardness. Right. Awkward has never been my favorite flavor of entertainment. You know, I'm not a big like. Well, and you really get the sense that Tolkien really overestimated how cool Gondor was. It was way cooler in his mind than it is to anybody who's actually reading it. You know, he's built up all this lore and this idea of Gondor, the city of the king with the white tree and the the tree with the stars and the emblems and the horn and all this stuff. It seemed like he felt like he was really paying it off for Mm -hmm. us. And it's just like, eh. Yeah, no, it's not. Well, it's almost like a paradise regained problem as i like to think of it in my mind you know paradise less is awesome because it's about satan and it's really easy for somebody to enter into the character of satan and write a great character paradise regained is about christ and 
nobody remembers that it even exists because it's really hard to write that. All these kind of fallen, broken kingdoms, you know, your Rohan, your even Rivendell in a way, because it's passing away. They they have a lot of intrinsic interest. But when we finally just get to the glorious... The most interesting place for me of all of them is Mordor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, when you're spending time in Mordor, it's like, that's when you actually want Tolkien to stop and describe a rock, because that yeah. rock is interesting. Like, Yeah, he, he may, and he does, and he makes you imagine, yeah. what was this place like before it was all befouled? and The thorns and it, that could only grow in that land, the, those thorns they fall into? Yeah. I found that extremely interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. super yeah. interesting. The statue with and the even, like, the crown on it of lilies eventually, like it's, yeah, I yeah. don't even remember exactly what it is, but it's really evocative. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, there's still water and you can still be nourished by it and things, life still finds a way. Ian Malcolm, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wrote this book. No, uh, no, but- it, Jeff but Goldblum was in there. <laughs> <laughs> but just that, that idea that, you know, there's still, there's still growing things here. Right. They're twisted and they're- unhealthy and whatever but they're still sauron actually can't just he, he can't really extinguish life extinguish everything yeah he can't do it well it's that beautiful, not even in his own realm the, doesn't sam say to frodo or when they're on their final thing like uh, i don't know the but, star yeah when he sees the star yeah the star exactly. is that's one of the most beautiful and evocative and poignant moments that whole moment towards the end when they when you think they're going to die and yeah. they're just they look up in the clouds part and they see yeah yeah it's the stars mr frodo it's great it's yeah. the stars well, you can tell that Sam just makes you cry. Sam makes you cry. Sam is just. Let me just make the point. We're going to talk about that next time. But right. isn't it interesting <laughs> that we find ourselves gravitating towards that yeah. instead of more Gondorian you politics? Gotta, you got to contrast it, right? Like, that's the thing is. Gondor is just a place. There's not Gondor a Gondor is of... not that interesting. Yeah. Gandalf and Pippin and Gondor, not that interesting. Pippin and Gondor, not that interesting. When it, we just ended with one of the great scenes in Tolkien with Shelob's lair at the end of book four. And one of the best cliffhangers, maybe the best cliffhanger in all of literature. It's a, it's a tremendous cliffhanger. It's a tremendous scene. Your fists are pumping, your kids are cheering and laughing and yelling, like when Sam goes and attacks Shelob. And then, oh no, Frodo's dead. And oh no, Frodo's alive. And oh no, all this stuff happens. And then boom, you, you've waited to, to get your resolution. And then you've got to sit and hear the white walls of Gondor described. Yeah. And see Peepin, Peepin? <laughs> see <laughs> Pippin talk, talk, talk to, what's his name, Baragond? And, and then Baragond's son, Baragond Jr. S- 12-year-old boy and all this stuff. It's like... And it's like anti-wish fulfillment because Pippin's not good at it and he's making a fool of himself and Gandalf's kind of impatient with him. And I get that that's all tracks and makes sense and was what would happen and evoke something. It is something. important for Pippin's journey. It, just like it's important, you know, what happens with Mary and Rohan is important for Mary's journey. But it's a lot of it's pretty cringe. And I, you know. It's hard. As right? a kid, like, it's we just, just like, I don't want to see like my, my surrogate like make a fool of himself that much. And yeah. then you think it's all, it's all supposed to be leading up to this tremendous battle, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all going to pay off when we get to the battle. And then Tolkien has zero interest in Actually that battle. giving us the action of the battle. Yeah. And it's like, man, like as a, I didn't read this as a kid, but if I were a kid and I felt this with my kids sitting through it, like every chapter feels like, oh, the next chapter is when the battle is going to finally come. And you go like five chapters of that, like thinking, okay, finally the battle is going to come. Mm-hmm. And so- You've sort of been impatiently waiting for the battle to come. 
And then the battle finally comes. Just feels like a letdown. Yeah. Yeah. It you does. have the Deus Ex Machina of the ghost from the ship. I mean, it's it's a cool enough image, but still it's it's kind of you're right, it's kind of a letdown. Well, and more than that, like it really does start to feel like uh Tolkien is playing out his ability to paint it black and then give us the the uh, catastrophe. The catastrophe. And so to me, that one feels as thin as 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 any of them. Well, yeah. as long as Oh, it's gonna go bad. Oh, Rohan's gonna show up. Oh, it's gonna go bad again. Oh, the ghost ship's gonna show up. And Yeah. I mean, as long as we're criticizing and again, it's all degrees of greatness, folks. Uh, love these books. But Diet Minds of Moria there with like the the journey through the dark to yeah. get the ghosts. There's like no setup. Yeah. No after like Moria, it's like we're talking about it, we're building it up. Oh, let's not go to Moria. That place is scary, bro. Oh, Gandalf doesn't, you know, like Gandalf's scared of Moria. So much build up and then payoff. Like Gandalf's willing to risk our lives in every possible way to avoid Moria. Like, well, it almost feels like he just needed a way to fill up some stuff because the one that does, you wanted Rohan to have a moment where Theoden gets to kind of prove himself again. Right. So right. them showing up is like, it's the strongest of those thin things, I think. I think yeah. you're right. But And then you get that wonderful but also, singing and slaying imagery. Yeah. So you get That's that. nice. And you get him facing off with the Dementor King or whatever. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the Dementors are ripoffs of him, but right. you know, whatever. But then you also, so one scene that made me think that for one, there's the whole going into the ghost and finding them, which it's yeah. fine. But also when they meet like Huli Huhan or whatever his yeah, name Hulu is, I, I forget, I, for, I always forget about that the, guy. The Southerner or whatever he Like is. the wild man. The wild man. Gar, Guri, Guri, Gurney Halleck. Gurney yeah. Halleck. Gurney Halleck. Yeah. Yeah. The, the man who just disappears with all his guys into the woods. It's mm. like, why yeah. in the world do we need this? It's like, here's a Tom Bombadil moment out of nowhere, right here at the, like the climax when things should be tight and- Guri Bon Guri or Guri Bon Duri. Guri Bon Hulihan or- I think it's Hurry Bon Hulihan. <laughs> what, what I wish, what I think, because Tolkien actually alludes to, in his little sarcastic introduction where he fa- to Lord of the Rings, where he famously says, like, I, I have no patience for allegory and I've always despised it whenever I can sense it or whatever it is. He says, he also says something like five fingered or 10 fingered typing was beyond me. He had basically admits like these books only got so much revision because this was a giant work. Y'all I did the best I could. I mean, he says it much more eloquently than that. He doesn't say it that way, (laughs) but I really feel the lack of a word processor for this last part. I feel like it starts to feel thin, like he just didn't have time or patience to yeah. kind of fill it out. Like all this stuff is good structurally, like these are the things you want in the story. But it's just like, we need to spend time making, bringing these ghosts to life and, no pun intended, uh, bringing the Battle of Pelennor Fields. It's like stuff that he would have been happy to do, you know, back in Fellowship of the Ring, make all that stuff live, give you enough yeah. to evoke the Balrog, Minds of Moria, all the major set pieces. He just simply... and. I agree. And to be fair, I think it's because he knew he wanted to spend, if he, if he was getting tired, if that's right, he was under some sort of publication deadline. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But, but if that was the case, it's because he wanted to give his energy to book six, which I feel like he does. Which is awesome. The final drive to Mount Doom is some of the best stuff. And, and we'll the talk about scouring it. of the Shire. And the scouring of the Shire yeah. is great. Yeah, but it feels like either his interest or his ability just kind of lags at this point. And you just don't quite get a fully developed... Battle of Pelennor. Well, though. sense of a lot of these things that happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, now we're going to go through the Pass of the Dead. Oh, yeah, you guys remember those. Okay. Gimli's scared now. Yeah. I mean, the Tolkien of Fellowship of the Ring would have given you 
a lot of buildup and a lot of individual little character beats. And he would have lingered there to give you some description. Mm-hmm. And maybe what he found was that the story had enough momentum that we just, we didn't want to. We needed to keep moving. Stay there, which is fine. Which, yeah, I mean, everybody's so split up. I can, I mean, I can definitely see in the writing room, in the draft room with outline on the board saying, we need to get all of these people from point A to point B. Right. The problem with that argument though is we need to get all these people from point A to point B except for Peregrine Took. Yeah. That's the one character that we really need to spend time with in the white walls of Gondor. Yeah, and not only is he going to meet Maragon and it's going to be like, have you guys had breakfast yet? Oh boy, I've been on my toes, you know, wondering whether Pippin's going to get breakfast. Oh, he does. Okay. Good. Whew. Glad you right. had some food. Gandalf made sure of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange. Uh, you, I mean, I wonder what the heroes that are saving the world are up to. Who cares? Who cares? Breakfast. Pippin needs breakfast. Pippin's getting breakfast. <laughs> I think that's just because in the end, that's who Tolkien loves to spend the most time with, or the hobbits. Yeah, but let's spend time with Frodo and Sam at this point, or let's do something actually interesting with Pippin. Well, one point that I made, okay, I'm just going to let people behind the curtain here. We've already recorded our Dune episodes, which are coming out in December, and Brandon actually wasn't here for a little bit of one of the episodes. And one point that I made there is Tolkien's such a genius in letting us see things from the hobbit's perspective because it just provides an every man perspective who's who's feeling i mean i think i've said this on our lord of the rings podcast and we've said this before but dune is a great example of something that really hurts for the lack of a pippin actually or a mary or somebody to just be there like who are these people and why are they talking to each other like this yeah i feel lost i feel lost what's going on why what i was actually argued for dune is if you add a pippin to dune who's just like quiznart what yeah. Which it, is great if you care about Gondor. Right. And if you're like so happy to finally get to Gondor, the city of the king, and learn about the steward and what's been happening there. And and I think again in in Tolkien's mind, this is return of the king. This is the city of the king. This is Camelot. This is Camelot. This yeah. is what but Camelot without its Arthur. And it needs its Arthur. And this is the story of Arthur being restored to Camelot. And so we're going to see Camelot. We want to see Camelot. Everybody wants to see Camelot. Everybody wants to know what this kingdom is really about. You think you've seen it? You think you saw it in Rohan? You think you saw it in in Helm's Deep? You think you have an idea? You have no idea. This makes all those things look silly and small and stupid. Which this is-, is a force to be reckoned with. This is a beautiful, big, amazing place. That's what he wants us to to feel, but it just doesn't quite work that way. Or he's not set up enough in us the desire to really be like, oh yeah, okay, this is what he was talking about. This is what they were referencing. They've really said nothing about it except uh, Boromir, who nobody likes, Mm -hmm. is like, let's go to Gondor. We need to go to Gondor. Gondor will be awesome because I'm awesome and I'm from Gondor. Right, and so it almost sours you on Gondor. Right, and then Faramir in the books buys back some of that for you, some affection for you, but he's a ranger out on his own playing Robin Hood in the wild. He doesn't doesn't seem like anything. I realize in a plot sense, it all kind of derives from his Gondorian heritage, but you don't really feel that. You're not like, oh, these are the men of Gondor. And Faramir's valiant, valiant stuff. Well, even on a plot level, the fact that Faramir is the one guy in his family that's not a jerk. Yeah, it's like 
his valiant courage and his good sense and discernment, it doesn't really seem to derive from Gondor. Gondor. It seems to, it's, you know, it's ex nihilo is what it feels like. Yeah, he's the, the redheaded stepchild because he has that stuff, actually, because Gondor yeah. is corrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it feels almost a little bit like in the Star Wars prequels when it's like, the Republic of old, the Trade Federation ruled us and everybody was in fighting and yeah. Palpatine, you know, like. Was so- able to manipulate the whole Galactic Senate into this massive war and manipulate the this noble Jedi, count, supposedly noble Jedi mm-hmm. Council into turning into a bunch of blinded warriors. And I suppose that's the point. Game. I mean, Camelot, what is Camelot without its king? But I'll tell you, it's a place where we don't want to spend that much time eating breakfast. Yeah. Like. it's a good point. <laughs> yeah. You don't write an Arthur story where we stick with Sir Kay's steward and I don't know. Is there a counter argument? I'm sure some of the fans are listening and are like, I love the chapter in Gondor. What would they, what would they well, say? And they would say, if I were to take the counterpoint, I would say, maybe you're looking for payoff when what you're actually getting is further set up that's right. going to be paid off in book six when the king has come it's less about this is the city of the king and here we are and more about look at this trash and look at the oppression of these people and look at all of the glory that once was and feels like could never be again and look at the hopelessness and look at the all of this and they need the king and now when we see the king reign and rule and be restored and start to restore Middle Earth, you'll have all of this imagery and all of these scenes and all of this stuff, you know, in the back of your mind that will make it feel rich and satisfying and exciting. To which I would reply, fair enough, but it's a little, A, narratively, structurally, it's a little late for setup. It kind of feels like this is the time when everything just needs to be paying off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in fact, that's what's happened. We rush through this setup and we get to the payoffs with characters like Eowyn and Aragorn and people that we've already met and have an emotional connection to. Yeah. Well, I said A like there was going to be a B, but I guess that's my point. That would be my counter counter argument. Uh, let's see. We've already talked about the Battle of Pelennor Fields. I do remember Jake having the experience <clears throat> as a kid of reading it and being like, this is kind of rushed. And I don't know. I've talked multiple times on this podcast about Tolkien getting more highfalutin as he goes. And that's the place where it definitely feels like instead of just giving us the scene, he's sort of substituting, you know, really Shakespearean kind of ornate language. And then you get that, and I'm sorry once again to complain, but we'll be back with lots of positive energy next time. Then you get that wonderful chapter, The Houses of Of Healing. Healing. I remember really hating The Houses of Healing when I first read this book. I don't think I hated it quite as much this time. Why'd you guys hate it? I like the second chunk in the Houses of Healing that happens in book six between Faramir and Arwen. That's pretty sweet. Arwen. Eowyn. That's pretty sweet. Maybe that's what I'm misremembering. Is that in book six? Yeah, that's in book six. Okay. The first Houses of Healing is like Aragorn shows up and- Uh, The the doctors and the nurses are all Oh, there's that woman who doesn't remember if there's- That's just for old wives' tales. Okay, yeah, never mind. It's it's. Actually, it's a potent medicine. Well, the lore says this, and I'm a stupid bumpkin. Actually, I'm the king, and you, but I'm not going to tell you that. And I know, and I'm the healer. Yeah. I always knew he was the healer. I always knew he was the king. All that crap. Yeah. Yep. You know, while all our people that we love are just laying yep. there quiet and half dead and helpless. Yep. <laughs> it's him trying to have a little bit of Shakespearean aside. Low humor. comedy. Yeah. 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 It's not. 
I don't think I'm, I think he's good at that with hobbits. I'm not sure it kind of, I'm not sure it paid off here. So, so much so that I kind of forgot about this chapter until you guys remembered, reminded me about it. Well, I think Tolkien, like many great dramatists, is wonderfully comic when the comedy is incidental. There'll be a line or a moment within the drama that is really comical. Tolkien's actually really good at, he has a really great wry sense of humor. But That's when he's Gandalf just like is wonderful is because Gandalf is usually unintentionally humorous. Yeah, Gandalf. I mean, he's funny in the moment. Yeah, he's just throwing off one-liners and yeah. stuff, and it's great. But when Tolkien's he, he's like a Tony Stark, yeah, he is Gandalf and Tony. They they, they really are the same character. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. When Gandalf uses his nanobots to Aragorn would be the uh, Aragorn would be the um, Captain right, America. Yeah, Captain America definitely. Well, let's carry it through. Who are the other characters? Oh man, I knew you were going to ask. Uh, uh, Legolas, Gimli's Thor. Yeah, probably. Gimli, or, yeah. Or um, Legolas. Or the Legolas Hulk. is um, Vision. No, Saruman was... would be like Loki. Yeah, that's true. Who would you think that Saruman would be? Galactus? Yeah, probably. Sauron, I mean? I was just going with... Who's Galactus? He's like the eater of worlds. See the guy that Doctor Strange has to get in a time loop or whatever? There isn't a Galactus yet, but they're... Yeah. Nerd. Nerd. Yeah. Old Brandon and his... I really love my Marvel stuff. <laughs> love of Marvel lore. Brandon, hater of sci-fi and fantasy, lover of comic books. <laughs> <laughs> this has to. This partly has to do with having a 12-year-old boy mm-hmm. who really is into it. Uh, oh, carrying this through. Um, <laughs> carrying, no, we're going to keep doing this. Frodo. <laughs> no, you don't have to keep doing it. Uh, what, what, is, what is the next actual thing that we want to talk about, though? I got to ask you guys a question from Spark Notes. Here we go. Legolas and Gimli both seem to disappear over the course of the Return of the King. They remain friends with Aragorn, or Aragorn, but they don't have the same kind of strong narrative arc that the hobbits or the humans of the novel enjoy. Why not? How would the Return of the King be different if we followed Gimli or Legolas's perspective after the fall of Sauron? They're essentially side characters who exist to be contrasted with our hobbits. There you go. It would be different because it would be from their perspective. I'm... Uh... I mean, <laughs> Tolkien's telling a story basically from the perspective of hobbits, mm-hmm. and therefore it would be a different story. Yep. <laughs> It'd be different. <laughs> what, what do you, what, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was starting to see what Schmoop's things were. Schmoop. Mm hmm. And they always come up with the best questions. They do come up with Yes, questions. when you write something from a different perspective, it is from a different perspective. That's true. Is that what they want me to say? The perspective is the, therefore different. Yeah. I don't know, guys. They're dealing with dumb high schoolers. Well, what other thoughts did you guys have about book five of Return of the King? I like that mouth of Sauron. He's pretty petty. Calls Gandalf old gray beard. He does have a gray beard. Yeah. He doesn't get his head cut off. Yeah. He doesn't have the creepy smile. I don't think the real Aragorn would ever just cut off an envoy's head. Seems like not a very noble thing to do or nope, kingly thing to do. Not a kingly thing to do. Yeah. I loved that last part of that chap of that book. I love the, well, guys, we're all going to die one way or another here unless Frodo gets the ring. Mm-hmm. So we might as well bluff and ride off and die at assaulting the gates of hell like men. And in the vain off chance that it might somehow help Frodo and provide a distraction. And it does. We're going to go die, guys. Let's go. Who's going to go die? Let's all go die at the gates of hell. And I just, Tolkien is a master of evoking that sort of brotherhood, 
against all impossible odds, we're going to do the manly, courageous, right thing. Yeah, the last stand. The... We're going to take the last stand. It doesn't matter. We're going to go down like men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought that was beautifully done. And then, of course, he fooled my kids one last time. Thought everybody was dead. Thought everybody was dead. Thought Pippin was dead. Yeah, under an, a troll. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, what it was under a troll. Gimli had to hack him out of there or something yeah. like that. Is that great speech Aragorn makes? This is not that day. <laughs> oh, boy. There may come a day when everybody <laughs> sucks and fails and... Yeah. <laughs> Such a bad... <laughs> but today is not that day. But there maybe. may come a time when we quail like women and... Urinate our pants. <laughs> slip on banana peels. <laughs> but today is not that day. <laughs> One day we'll pass out clown makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what we'll be. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> but today is not that day. Not that day, no. Today is Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday we fight. <laughs> that speech was written by two women. And boy, can you tell it. Boy, can you tell. Like, that's how to, uh, not not to be a sex. Well, okay, to be a sexist. If this is how you wanted to define sexism. Then I'm a sexist. Two women might actually think that that's inspiring. But no man... <laughs> <laughs> likes that speech. That is not the equivalent of Braveheart's speech. It is, is not the equivalent not Henry. of yeah. St. Crispin's Day speech. Oh my goodness. At all. So you mean tomorrow I'm going to be a coward. Right. Ah, thank you, yeah, Eric. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We may all become cowards before this is all over. We may all belong in skirts. Right. But not today. Uh, right. Bob's already in a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> It's a kilt. <laughs> I already shattered my shield. <laughs> That'd be a great YouTube video. Yeah. Some dorks that already fit all his descriptions. And then there's, if we're marked to die, we're enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer the men, the greater share of honor. I pray thee wish not one man more. By Jove, I'm not covetous for gold, nor care I who doth feed upon my cost. It yearns me not if men my garments wear. Such outward things dwell not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, I'm the most offending soul alive. No faith, my cuz, wish not a man from England. God's peace, I would not lose so great an honor as one man more, methinks, would share from me for the best hope I have. Oh, do not wish one more. Rather proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispin. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when his, this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispin. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispin. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Christmas Day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgotten. But he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in his mouth, his household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good men teach his son, and Crispin Crispin shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered, we few, 
Be happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. This day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here. And hold their manhoods cheap. <laughs> While Zanny speaks, that the bot with us upon St. Crispin's Day. Ah, that's great. See, Henry is saying there's bigger things that we could lose than our lives, and actually, we're united by a bigger cause. Yep, and we have brotherhood, and together we're yeah. It's for honor. It's for glory. It's for something bigger than us. And if we die, so what? And if we survive, if we make it through this. If we win, the rest of our lives we'll be able to say tomorrow's St. Crispin's Day. Mm-hmm. And the men at home who weren't here with us are going to be jealous. They're going to count themselves cursed that they weren't here. Whew, that's good yep. stuff. Aragorn's like, amazing. we could fail conceivably at some point, <laughs> but not today. <laughs> 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 Maybe. <laughs> you know, now that I'm looking at you guys, <laughs> not so sure. <laughs> Maybe today. <laughs> oh boy, for Frodo. For Frodo. Ah, it's a nice moment. It is a nice yeah. moment. Yep. Uh, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to top that in our podcast. Uh, anything else you guys want to say about this? I like that the music you picked was Pomp and Circumstance. (laughs) circumstance. We're we're graduating high school here, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You you were trying to think of the British royal anthem. I was, and I couldn't come up with it. What what is it? Um, (laughs) It starts like that. It starts with a note. It starts with a note. (laughs) That's not it either. No, that's the opposite. Grand old flag. You almost had it. Yeah, that's what it is. My country crap. Hold it up to the microphone, Jake. All right, that's the preamble. Rich. Oh. All right. And the melody comes now, maybe. It is my country to yeah it, yeah, it is. You jerk. I'd save the <laughs> queen. Yeah, you're right. Well, who has egg on their face now? You do, because you've been eating lots of eggs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's all you do here while we record. <laughs> well, I have a lad, Brandon. I ate four dozen eggs every morning to help me get large. But and now that you're 
old you eat? Five dozen eggs. And you're slightly the... Roughly the size of a roughly barge. you are. You definitely are the size of a barge. Yeah, I'm almost Brandon size. I'm <laughs> the public guy. That's how you gauge that, huh? Uh, yeah, that is the gauge. There's fat, there's big, there's barge, and there's Brandon. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I set myself up for that. There's barge and there's Brandon. Uh, yeah, it's a good That's you could big mayor. What's that? It's one big mayor. It's <laughs> The kids were watching. It's uh, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never mayor at the beginning, they say it's that's one. I want to be a big mayor one day. And at the end, he's eating so much food that he's huge and fat. One guy says, "That's one big mayor." Hey, there you go. <laughs> Set up <laughs> payoff. Yeah, the writers of Cloudy's <laughs> with the meatballs were Cloudy's with the meatballs were right up there with Tolkien. Uh, speaking of Tolkien, do you guys have any more thoughts about this book? Oh, I guess we can't let this go without talking about the great feminist set piece of all time. Oh, yeah. The great showdown between the Ice Maiden herself and... The Witch King. The Witch King. She is no man. What do you guys think about that? She wasn't a man. No, she wasn't. She's, in fact, not a man. She managed to circumnavigate that prophecy quite a bit. Uh, the Hobbit also had his part to play. He's he also not did. a man. And he had a special blade, which is something that the movies completely gloss over that yep. nerds have been complaining about now for almost 20 years. He is actually the one who undid the Witch King and made it possible for him to be killed with that special blade. Hmm. Really? That's what it said. Yeah, wow. no, you're right. I mean, It actually it, explains that in the, in in the, the book. book. Because wow. he had the blade from the What's-Their-Faces, the, the from, Creepos. What are yeah, they? the, the, the Numenorians. Guys or? that live in the hole. Yeah, what are they? The, oh, the, the holes. The holes. <laughs> The white, the barrel whites. Barrel, barrel whites, yeah. 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 <laughs> Found it in the barrel whites thing. And it's this ancient special blade and not, it's like no other blade in all Middle Earth could have. We'll talk about a Chekhov's like, this is gun. This whole little, yeah, it is. No, yeah. It's a, very much a Chekhov's gun and it's this whole explanation of how, like it, um, it broke his, his power or some spell or something, mm-hmm. but it pierced him and then she was able to finish him it's nice how those there's those things are just sitting around middle earth just like king's foil apparently can yeah. heal anything that's a chalk off's gun that yeah. like, hey what's this gun <laughs> i guess i'll use it to shoot sauron <laughs> hey sauron's uh not able to be shot by guns except for this one gun <laughs> hey cool but i found it glad i found that <laughs> hey they killed the witch king it worked yeah, uh, I mean, what do you want us to comment on? Whether oh, or not it's feminism? I don't know. You think Tolkien's a feminist? No, no I, well, I don't. F- Tolkien goes out of his way, and I think somebody, somebody in, in our discussions of Eowyn in the last book or last chapters took issue with us, and I think they were right because when t- the way that Tolkien comes back around, and we've already alluded to this, and we'll we'll get to it in book six, the way mm-hmm. he comes back around with Faramir and Eowyn. That's where we really get a clear picture of what he thinks about Eowyn. Yes. He does not like Eowyn. He does not mean for us to like Eowyn. He means for us to think Eowyn is as frigid and cold as we think that she is. She's got some things going on. Right. She has a lot of positive attributes, but she's badly scarred and she has gone cold and she has gone hard and she needs a man like Faramir to soften her up. And Aragorn has pity for her that she was in such a state with Theoden and Wormtongue and everything else that this is what she came to. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty messed up. 
like you almost want to say like borderline autistic or something like it's not quite that but it's like close she's been living in this really gross dysfunctional broken home basically like yeah. she she just comes from this messed up situation and yeah yeah she needs help i suppose we'll talk about that a little bit more next time but i think you're right and then that without taking away any of the courage or heroism or right which are great things that and great attributes for women to have right and, and tolkien definitely wants us to understand that understand right? that yeah fairmere understands that and he sees her worth yeah and understands that you you know what does it say it's i know we're going to talk about it but it says that you know they sees in her the strength and beauty of the great queens of old who mm-hmm. did valorous deeds right but she's wanting cultivation right and he's going to tame her yep. and he's going to warm her up and he's going to cultivate her I'm, and he's going to go all in on it. And that's a beautiful chapter. Yeah, it is. Tame that wild filly. Oh, Brandon. <laughs> you, I thought you were going to say shrew, but you know. You brought that down a little bit, but it's <laughs> okay. Well, you're welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Cause we know how Brandon feels. And you know what I feel is I feel like a guy that loves to shout out our patrons. So let's do that. Now, how do you get a donor shout out or a patron shout out, Brandon? You go to patreon.com forward slash the bookening. You do at that. That is what you do. Yep. And you take that Numenarian blade of money. Yep. And you stick it into the witch king of Angmar. Angmar. <laughs> and you give us the, the metaphor broke down a little bit there, but basically you give money to Patreon. Give at least 10 bucks and we'll give you a donor shout out like what's about to follow. The Witch King is pretty awesome. Yeah, he's a great bad guy. I don't know that I have any more insight than that, but in terms of- Well, he did a good job establishing the real power of the Witch King by putting him up against Gandalf for a minute. Yes. Right. Like these guys are the proper And Gandalf was afraid. They're a match for each other and the Witch King might overpower Gandalf here, Mm -hmm. except that- the Witch King suddenly understands that the battle's turning out in the field and takes yeah. off when he maybe has Gandalf on the ropes. Yeah. Yeah, no. He's great. Tolkien writes great villains. And he does two different great speeds of villains. He does the really petty, nasty, mocking kind of like what Jake always likes to talk about in Paralandra. The, what is it? I've never actually read it, but Satan. The satanic figure. Yeah, he's possessed and by the devil and he is just super petty and he thinks it's awesome to kill a bunch of frogs and then to just sit there in the dark and say your name over and over again yeah. so that you can't Nathan. sleep. Nathan. Small and petty and Nathan. very prosaic. Nathan. I can confirm it's pretty annoying. Nathan. Nathan. But Tolkien does that like with the the mouth of Sauron. Nathan. 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 <laughs> okay, well, that's one way to beat it. Yes. That would have been weird, Rand. You can't beat him, join him. <laughs> okay, yeah, he does like the. I just, I really do love that the mouth of Sauron is so petty. Like, this is Sauron's henchman, and he's going to sit there and call Gandalf old gray beard. Like, yeah. that's the level that these bad guys are operating <laughs> right. on. Tolkien does that sort of thing really well. Gollum, obviously, being the ultimate example. And all the orcs and everything. That kind of disgusting, vulgar, low villain. But then he, he does do, when the occasion calls for it, high villainy. You know? And he takes a high villain and turns him into the level of a super petty, sneering villain. Yeah, In exactly. Saruman. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is, that is the beauty of what's going to happen in the next book. 
which we'll talk about next time as soon as we shout out our patrons. little extra content for you there, folks, post-patron rant. So let's shout them out. I'll say their names, and you guys say the names of footwear. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Shoes. Shoes. The Artful Anthony Dodger. Shoes. Shoes. You guys say the names of various footwear. Little Anthony Cigar Store. Sandals. One shoe. The Immortal Chelsea E. Shoes. A shoe without shoelaces. <laughs> and Little Annie Oakley. Boots. A shoe with the smudge on the end. <laughs> <laughs> Lily of the Valley. Those talking Cowboy cartoon boots. shoes from Roger Rabbit. Ooh, those come to a nasty end, don't they? Yeah, sad. Uh, yeah, it was sad. Well, they melt. <laughs> Andrew and yeah. Esther the Lovebirds. Galoshes. Sandals. The Keith Master. Rain boots. David's Money Men Trekking. Work boots. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Cowboy boots. Jade and Kitty who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis including Till We Have Faces. Other boots. I've not heard Ugg or any other brands. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness Mother Beth. Ugg. Console. Oh, wow. Creative. <laughs> Console Prime Adam. Nike. Uh, Jeremy the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Dress I boots. Does. Adidas, Adidas, only. Uh, Nathan, not me. Reebok, basketball shoes. <laughs> Maya! Maya! Baseball cleats. Yeah. Random Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Soccer cleats. Danny the Dude. Football cleats. DJ Sammy G. Track spikes. Benny and Danny Tiberius. Running shoes. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Marathon shoes. Professor and Lady X. Sprinting shoes. Lavenders green, Dylan, Dylan. Lavenders blue. Lavenders green, Dylan, Dylan. I love you too. No constrictor? Hiking boots. Marachip. Trail running shoes. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. Skis. Anthony, who's cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Ice skates. Jujitsu, Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Hockey skates. Rachel. Rachel. Figure skates. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Roller skates. Queen Gungetta. Roller blades. Return of the Jedediah. Uh, shell tops. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Uh, Chelsea's. Timothy the Writer at Dawn. Oxford's. Brandon, you're falling down on the shoe. Oh, I'm just impressed. I'm just listening. <laughs> uh, Jake begged me to do this segment. He's like, I know so many shoes. Let me show up. Eric and... That's not true, folks. Eric and Kate the Camp Champ Kings who are warm and love bees. Blukers. Maddie, 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 Matt, man. Captos. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Brogues. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, and Laura, the Keeper of Eternal White. Uh, Doc Martens. Cold Steel Cody. Asics. Chuck Taylors. Jacqueline, the Librarian Barbarian. Cross Trainers. John Bombadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Tennille, his mate. Uh, Chacos. Saxophone Alex. Wooden Shoes. <laughs> Clogs? Clogs. Clogs, yeah. <laughs> uh, Eli, the Scarlet Pilgrim. Tap Shoes. Nice. Oh, and guys, we've got some new patrons today. We've actually got one, two, three, four, two couples for a total of four people. Yay. Oh, Brandon, Yay. Come Woo. on, man. Woo. These people support us, and all you can give them is a sarcastic, yay. We love you all. It's been a long day of recording, folks. That's the only excuse for Brandon's behavior. Well, let's just introduce them. We've got the other saxophone, Alex. And his lovely wife, Dubstep Danny. Dub, 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 Pumps. Step Danny. And all the other kids in my pumped up kicks. All you other kids. That's a good song to evoke at the end of this podcast. 
<laughs> that song based on Brandon's life, by the way. Look it up. Uh, Ryan the Terror. Oh, well, I need to introduce these people. We've got two more that have just joined us. Yeah. Ryan. Yes. And Eric. I will call Ryan. Let me see here. I will call her the Terror of Texas. Oh. Now, Brandon, you're from Texas, but you're not the Terror of Texas. Nope. I'm you're the just, contextual Texan. You're the contextual Texan. That's right. You're not the contextual terror. Well, maybe sometimes. I'll context that terror, though. Yeah. And we've got, of course, the husband of the, te- the terror of Texas, Eric, the cre- of the cream and crimson. A very lordly fellow. We've got Ryan, the terror of Texas, and Eric of the cream and crimson. Say hello to them, guys. Hey, welcome. Thank you. And they are, interestingly Thank enough, you. stuck in the cold. And I'm thinking they need some cheese. We should send it to them. Please send cheese. So Ryan the Terror of Texas and Eric of the Cream and Crimson who are stuck in the cold, please send cheese. What Ballet kind of cheese flats. do they want? I don't know. Luxembourg. I just told you. Ballet flats? Mm-hmm. That's a cheese? No, that's, no, that's the kind of shoes they want. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you said shoes. <laughs> we're doing a shoe thing early. We're on a shoe theme. Yeah. What kind of cheese do they want? Great oh. moments in podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Bookening. Support us at patreon.com forward slash The Bookening or leave us a review. The review that you leave can say this. This podcast is over. (laughs) But pizza will come. And love will win. Please don't leave that review. (laughs) That's a terrible review. (laughs) Leave something like, I love this podcast. It's Thought Christmas, y'all. Happy Bookening. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 